Warning, the Catholic Man Show is about to begin. If you're looking for a dull, feel-good religion, or clap your hands, sit around the campfire kumbaya, you've come to the wrong place. We are dealing with toxic levels of authentic masculinity. I would say good luck, but luck is for pagans. Welcome to the Catholic Command Show. We're on the Lord's team, the winning side. So raise your glass. Adam Minahan here, sitting with David Niles to my right. And to my left, we have Mr. Trent Horn from Catholic Answers and the Council of Trent. Trent, welcome. Thank you for having me. This is their, your first time to be in, we call it studio. In the studio. In studio. Mm-hmm. Studio. Okay. Yeah, it has multiple meanings. Uh, it's kind of the study, kind of a studio. Like there's just a bunch of stud beams behind the drywall. Yeah, I mean that, and yes. that's where the studs go. Of course. Um, I like it. Just so many things. Broski. Yeah. Broselli. <laughs> Brotato chip. Bro, bro shamalama. I like it. <laughs> I don't know. A rat. Uh, so if, anyway, welcome. Yes. Thank welcome. You In the flesh. Glad to be here. Incarnate, indeed. Yeah. Uh, if you're, this is your first time listening to the Catholic Man Show, we normally open a review and enjoy a man beverage, highlight a man gear, and have a manly discussion. But because we have a guest this evening in studio, we're going to sans the man gear to get into the topic to really try to stump Trent on relativism. Maybe. I mean, I don't know if it's your truth or my truth, but we're going to try to figure it out. You can try to stump me. It's going to be your truth. doesn't matter. I'm always <laughs> going to be right because I think I'm right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. That's the beauty of rel- relativism. <laughs> I mean, if, if there was one. <laughs> that's right. That's it. Uh, but, you know what? I think the gear, the drink today could also be the gear just because the bottle is so awesome. It is. Uh, oh, so this episode is uh, sponsored by 918 Banners. You can like them on Facebook. Just type in 918 Banners. Uh Alan Taylor and Deb Taylor hooked us up with Sheridan's Coffee Liqueur, which you cannot get in the U.S. So they say. That's what they say. Uh, they went on a cruise. On the uh, legal market, I'm sure. There's, the, I'm sure there's, you know, there's a black market for everything. So. <laughs> well, it's Irish. It's an Irish drink, so it's probably on the green market then. Ooh, right. 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 Yep. Uh, of course. Ooh, nice. Well done. Nice. Um, so anyway, so they, they provided this for us. They went on a cruise. They got it for us. And it's a really cool bottle because it has both cream and the liqueur, and it's supposed to pour equal parts or the correct amount of parts for each pour. So, Dave, why don't you open it up? Okay. It's called Sheridan's Coffee Layered Liqueur. What are your thoughts? I'm just making, I'm making sure that it's open, like there's not a seal okay. in there. All right, here we go. All, All right, right, let's try it. Look at that. Apparently... This will ruin Bailey's for people because it's much better. There you go. So we'll try that. We have uh, Juan in studio. It is it is fun to pour. I don't know if they see. Oh, yeah, they can see that. Yeah. And Jim. We have our bodyguard Jim, our producer Juan in studio, back in studio. Juan has been a uh, MIA for a while. It's like he has other things going yeah, on. What's going on, Where Juan? Where you been, Juan? Everywhere. Everywhere. Yeah. Everywhere. 
Oh, he just got a new. Uh, That's promo- impressive. I thought only God could do that. He just got a new promotion. So shout out to Juan for getting yeah. a new champion. He's uh, a yeah. process excellence champion. Is his is, that's his actual title for his actual job? It's incredible. It's pretty impressive. So he's really great at excellent process. Yeah, he's a champion by trade, as he says. Ah. Oh, and okay. I'm wondering. I'm just going to let it settle because I'm really tempted to want to swirl, but I think you just have to let it be. Do you, or should you swirl it? I don't. I don't know. I don't know because you know, it looks like the cream is kind of sitting on top. Your your drink, my drink. Right. <laughs> it is the glass. Quarter full, three quarters empty of liqueur that I need. I don't know. I don't know. Okay. Uh, I'm going to just work it out a little. All okay. right. We're on the Lord's team. The winning side. So raise your glass. Cheers right. to Jesus. Cheers to well, what? I will tell you, it is good. What are your thoughts? I'm worried that I'm just drinking cream right now. Yeah, I definitely I'm worried think, that I'm drinking. I, I think it's just cream. I got a lot of cream on the first one. I, yeah, I'm, you're swirling. Look, I'm going, you've, you've mixed it. I'm going with swirling. Whee! Yeah, I think swirling is is the way to go. That way, you got yeah, you have to swirl this to get it. The, okay, okay. Otherwise, swirl the cream it. is just on top. Yeah, yeah, and the cream is good. It, it was very good. It tastes like a one of those the, the cream that you put don't on work. snow cones. Don't. Mm. I'm sure the Irish people who designed this bottle did not have a fair share of it before they designed it. You know, so yeah, right. obviously it's going to work perfectly. And I think, you know, there's a lot it of drinks good. that are layered. But I really think that's only for... Okay, s- now, you, now you get a little more. Yeah. You it does mi- taste superior to Bailey's, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's way better than Bailey's. But I think mixed drinks or drinks that are layered, it's only layered for the serving. You know, you present it. Yeah, it looks nice. And it looks nice, but you don't drink it that way. Otherwise, yeah. And then it turns into grown-up chocolate milk. That's right. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that's a lot. That is what this is. It's re- it is really good. So, and I like regular chocolate milk. Oh, I do too. I have a tradition, actually. When I go and travel... That before I travel, I always mm. get a chocolate milk at the airport. And I now know all the brands by heart. I have thoughts about them. I thought about starting a blog, actually, but I have too much going on. <laughs> but because I don't, you know, because I'm not a coffee person. And yeah. I don't want to get soda because soda is, you know, actually there's twice as much sugar in a soda than in a chocolate milk. And I no don't. No kidding. Yeah. And I don't like breakfast. I'm not a breakfast person. But milk has, you know, it's got proteins. It's got a decent sugar. It's got lactose. Yeah. So when I go out. I'm always looking, and I know which airports have good brands. But honestly, if I had to rank them, I mean, Nesquik is down on the bottom. If you're not doing the powder yourself, it's bad. So Nesquik's okay. at the bottom. Uh, Fairlife is is pretty good. It's got a little chalky feel to it, so it's okay. Next up from that is Shamrock. It's passable. I mean, it's, it's got a nice smooth coatiness to it, so I dig. But after that, I always want to get something more independent. True Moo is really good. Mm. Something that comes from, like, looks like a local dairy. Yeah. Then I'm then I'm happy. I got my sugar, my protein. Yeah, but what I'm, I'm about ready to go. chocolate drinks like YooHoo? Oh, not even. No, not even in there. Yeah, okay. It's got to no. be an actual milk. Milk. It has to. It's yeah. got to have milk in there for me. And I will go through the airport. I, wa- I walked around Minneapolis for a half hour. Minneapolis is <laughs> St. Paul is a giant airport. I'm like, there has to be chocolate milk in this airport. And the worst though is Horizons Organic Single Box. That's great for a fourth grader. Mm-hmm. But like when I have to stab my straw into. Yeah, it, dude. Oh, you want to stay away from I any do of not, that? I do not want to have to work for my drink. Right. right, and also just there's a dignity uh, aspect that has to be considered, and the the loss thereof yeah. when you drink something that is essentially a juice box container. Yeah, you know it's it's just not good. We used to drink Ovaltine when I was growing up. Uh, I don't think you can buy that at the airport, but I want you mm-hmm. to try Brahms chocolate milk. 
Brahms chocolate milk. Now, I, I enjoy going to get a mint chocolate chip shake from Brahms when I'm here in Oklahoma or oh Kansas. My gosh. Those, that's probably my favorite shake there, but I've not tried Brahms chocolate milk. I'll put it on the list. Yeah. They have the best chocolate milk I've ever had. I'm not a, I don't claim connoisseur mm. status of the chocolate milk, but I will tell you, I'd put it up against anybody. I really would. Greatest one I ever had, well, milk in general. There was a local dairy in Arizona that I lived there, and you could buy it at the store. It was expensive. It was probably like six. It would, well, it would have been $8 a gallon. They only sold it in half gallons. Wow. But it came in a glass bottle. Nice. Old and school. it was it was a local dairy. So that was straight from the cow. Well, there you go. That's there's one nice. there's, there's one interesting thing you were able to mine out of me. It only took a little bit of the Sheridan's. So. <laughs> a very, very tiny bit. This is good. It's way more. There's a lot more flavor going on. If you can, I'm not even sure I would compare it to Bailey's. I mean, I, it's kind of in the same category because it's a. It just, it's just it's rich. Uh, I think it's, it's a more cream rich. liqueur. You know, it's definitely richer. It's very rich. Yeah, mm-hmm. it has a coffee feel, but I'm not a coffee drinker, so it doesn't actually have that overpowering of a coffee feel mm-hmm. to it. Yeah, mm-hmm. but yeah. I guess yeah, you can't get it here if you go on a cruise to the British Isles. You can yeah. get it there. Maybe I guess. You can get it there. Bring, make sure to bring some back for us. Yeah. <laughs> Look at this. Look at that. The levels of the liquid have stayed the same. Yeah. That is something I appreciate. If they didn't stay the same, it it would bother me. Yeah, and it's wider on this side, but it's still it. Maybe they might have a different um, cap here. Yeah, they, they weren't the streams weren't the same. Right, and yeah. you didn't cross the streams. I did work. not. I took great pains not to yeah, cross the cross streams. the streams with Sheridans. You don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, very good. And uh, we know we're not into science experiments here on the Catholic Man Show as much, or here in the studio anyway. We would have to go outside to right. do a science experiment like that. But anyway, if you have Sheridans at home and you haven't tried it, you should definitely try it you got it i don't know where you got it but seems well like, done seems like if you have it you probably know what you have right. you know because yeah yeah it's weird to have uh dave really quick before we hit break i want to make sure to let people know that we are sending out all of our patreon stuff this next week we have oh, it yeah. on our calendar we're having a packaging party it's gonna uh, be a thrill yeah it's gonna, <laughs> it's gonna be a thrill we're going over to juan's house we're getting uh all of this stuff that we we promised all of our patreon members last month out the door on Tuesday. So we're announcing like all of the winners and yeah. all that kind of yeah. stuff. Oh, and we'll give a shout out to uh, the Finster, James Finster. Ah. Because remember, I'm supposed to be... Yeah, you're doing that now. Uh, anybody anybody who's a friend tier level. Yes. I, I give a shout out to. So, And this is our first time to be back in studio because we, we missed an, a week. For the first time in three years, we missed a, an episode. In one week. Whoa. I was, uh, like, deathly ill. Yeah, you had the flu. It was very inconsiderate well, of you. Actually, I, thought, I thought it was inconsiderate. Actually, I uh, was planning on trying to record, and what would have been inconsiderate is exposing both you and Juan. Um, well, yeah, that, that would have been inconsiderate, but what you should have considered is just not getting sick in the first place. Right. Yeah, that would have been nice. Yeah. Because I was like running 103.5 feet. Yeah, you should have never done that. That was a bad choice. I know. My, my son's a little sick tonight, and so he wanted me to cuddle with him in bed. And then he's just he's just coughing in my face. I'm like, that's why when <laughs> you're a dad, awesome. this is just what happens. This right. Is, this is what you've accepted in life. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> this is my life now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, when we get back, we're going to jump into the topic. We're going to talk about relativism. Here with Trent Horn in studio with Jim and Juan. I'm Adam Minahan with David Niles. We're on the Lord's team. The winning side. So raise your glass. 
Welcome back to the Catholic Man Show. I'm David Niles here with Adam Minahan. We are joined in studio by the one and only Trent Horn, the Council of Trent. Definitely the best, the best website name on the internet. I mean, like, it's just perfect. You know it, what I mean? It was, it's, a good it was, play it's, on it's, words. it's been around for a while. I had it for my own person, my personal blog. Yeah. And then we were talking about, well, what should the name of my podcast be? I said, oh, you know, come on, let's do Council of Trent. And I think we voted, and it was like 400 likes right at the top of the list of yeah. possible. Oh names. yeah. I mean, I don't know what other uh, what the other options were, but they were not as good. You know what's funny? People always say, well, of course you're named Trent. You're Catholic. Like, well, my parents weren't Catholic when they named me. Is Trent I, a Catholic name? Well, that's the thing. I've never, I haven't met really another Catholic whose name is Trent, even though you have the Council of Trent, but Trent is the name of a city, a city in Italy. Right. It's not like the name of a saint or or father of the church or, or a famous person in church history, so I, I haven't really met too many. Yeah. It was a good council, though. Yep. It, was, it, it came was out with a very op- clear. It yielded a great catechism. Roman Catechism. I mean, that's the kind of the standard bearer for the future catechisms that would that would come after that. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. I mean, they answered a lot of like a lot of times when I do research, I'll come across something. And it's like, man, that's perfect. That's just what I was looking for. Oh, it's from the Catechism of the Council of Trent. Well, Truth. it is yeah. funny that a lot of times when you look at theology, sometimes the moments where our greatest clarity for theology arrives is when the faith has to be articulated in the face of those who disagree with it or reject it. Mm-hmm. I mean, you look at. Christ divinity. It still it took three hundred years, and the Church definitively defined these issues. Well, at Nicaea, Constantinople, and also really at Ephesus and, and Chalcedon. But it took these councils to really put forward these methodical, articulate definitions that are very precise in the language they use. Because the heresies during this time period are precise. You know, they they have very specific distinctions between them. You know, mon- well, monothelitism came later, but Eutychianism. And monophysitism are, are, Monophut- are wait what? I've never wait, heard of either of those. Let's, let's rewind. Let's recapitulate this. What is this? Well, uh, monophut- just mono, monophut- just- yeah, monophutism or the monophysite heresy. People, they thought he only had one leg. One. <laughs> <laughs> that'd be the mono the monopodites. <laughs> oh, gotcha. That was yeah. That, that was the, they, they they didn't last long. They didn't have a leg to stand they just on. Couldn't get around <laughs> in their in their uh, their heresy. So. The Monophysites believed that Christ had only one nature. So uh, essentially okay. what they said was that the divine and human natures in Christ were fused or intermingled together. Hmm. So that Christ has one nature. The, the idea is, well, if he became man, you, know, you only have one nature as a human being. Mm-hmm. So the divine and the human mixed together. And that's explicitly reject, rejected at the Council yeah. of Chalcedon. Some, the, the alternative, though, from the Monophysites, so it's the belief that you have uh, one person with one nature— is Nestorianism, which says, fine, you've got two natures, but you also have two persons, essentially. By saying, Nestorius said that Mary is not Theotokos, though honestly, if you were to pronounce it, it's really Theotokos. But no one ever says that. Really? Yeah, so the word inspired in Scripture is Theonostos. Uh, You know, 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is God-breathed. The word inspired, the Greek, is Theonostos, not Theop. Westos, you know, you know, so hmm. so nobody ever says this. When we say Mother of God, people always want to say, "Oh, the Theotokos," and I say it too because that's what people are used to. Yeah, but really, it'd be Theotokos. So what Nestorius said was, "No, Mary is not Theotokos. She's not the God bearer. 
she's the Christotokos or mm. Christikos. Mm-hmm. I've never said that a bunch, so I'm sure I'm butchering it. She's the Christotokos. She's the Christ bearer, not the God bearer. Yeah. And so that's where you get the Nestorian heresy, which says that uh, God the Son and Jesus the person are, are distinct and came together. So you have two natures, divine, divine and human, but they're in two separate persons. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Chalcedon. Uh, well, Ephesus really rejected Nestorianism. The Council of Ephesus declared, you know, Mary's Mary's the mother of God. She is Theotokos, which means God-bearer, but mother of God's a fine translation. And then Chalcedon said, no, there is a Jesus is fully man, fully God. He has two distinct natures that are not mixed or in- intermingled in any that be way. Modal- well, would that be modalism? It's not exactly modalism. Okay. So modalism would be the view that God is father at some times, son at others, and, and spirit, spirit and yeah. spirit at other times. So God, Different bef- so before the incarnation, God created the world. God is Father. There's only one God, one person. We have God, Yahweh, and then at the incarnation, God becomes man. He becomes the Son to redeem us. But there is not at that moment a distinction between the Father and Son as distinct persons. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So the idea here is, you'll say, well, that sounds absurd. How could that be? Jesus is praying to the Father. And modalists will come along and say, well, no, that is the relation that Christ's humanity is reflecting to his divinity. And so there, the Nestorian heresy kind of comes back a little. Mm -hmm. It almost turns Christ into two persons. Yeah. So the problem here, the, the, the thing that really takes the wind out of the sails for modalism or Nestorianism is a problem that Scripture describes. They are adamant the Son came into existence at the Incarnation. God became the Son. It didn't happen before. Now, what they'll say is this is better than the Trinity because it makes sense. They'll say, well, look, water is either ice sometimes, liquid at others, and steam at other times. Mm-hmm. You don't get all three at once. Well, what about the triple point? We'll talk about that later. In general, at regular temperatures where humans can survive, it's never at the same time. They right. say, well, the Trinity's like that. So that's why you should never use that analogy. Right. So that's what they'll so they'll say it makes more sense it's easier to understand and yet well problem is now you've got christ with these two natures that talk to each other your view is even more baffling it, i mean it's, it's logically inconsistent right so the problem that takes the wind out of the sails is the son exists at the incarnation but scripture describes a relationship between father and son before the incarnation mm-hmm. john seventeen five, jesus says glorify me which the glory i had with you before the creation of the world and so what they'll say is, well, the son was just a plan or an idea, the logos in the father's mind, not a person. You don't share glory with persons. You don't share that. Sorry, you don't share that with plans. You should share between persons. persons. Philippians chapter 2, the great kenosis hymn, the, the emptying hymn, that Christ humbled himself, emptied himself, took taking the form of a slave. Mm-hmm. Problem here is it's saying before the incarnation... Christ existed, and he did not grasp at divinity, but emptied himself. He's being humble. Plans and wisdom are not humble. Okay, mm. they, they, so, mm. and actually, great, I earned a shameless yeah. plug, though. I cover all this in my new book, Counterfeit Christs, and that's actually coming out in about a month. So that oh, is, right, because you've been working on that for a while. I remember a couple yeah. of years ago you mentioned. Well, I talked about it. It was, on, it was on the docket, and I wrote it last year, but there really wasn't, the only book, the most comprehensive book on Jesus, the books on Jesus written by Catholics were, the ones that I recommended to people were Jesus Shock by Peter Kraft which is a good book just to get someone, a non-religious person, into Jesus, to, mm-hmm. into seeing he's, he's God, he's not just a man. Other than that, Brant Petrie's The Case for Jesus is very good, mm-hmm. uh, but it's more focused on defending the gospel tradition, mm, the yeah. reliability of the gospels, and a little bit of the divinity and resurrection of Christ. My book, 
deals with all the mis- the major mistaken views people have about Jesus. You know, he's your non-judgmental buddy. We can't know anything about him. Socialist he's Jesus. Lost in, yeah, socialist Jesus, gay affirming Ooh, Jesus. I like socialist Jesus. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, you must not. Li- you must not like working. There. <laughs> You're right. Even though even though Jesus said the laborer deserves his wage. Yeah. And when two uh, brothers came to Jesus and said, "Help us divide the herita- the inheritance," my brother took an unfair share of the inheritance. Jesus didn't say, "Oh, we have to address this income inequality." He yeah. said, "Man, who made me a judge over you? Greed will lead you to destruction." So I covered that the the Mormon, Jehovah's Witness, Muslim view, Jewish view, Jesus, and some Protestant views that are mistaken. So. I think that's fun. That'll be a nice, solid apologetic, a defense of the person of Christ from a Catholic perspective, one that we really have not had before. And it includes the modalist heresy, which is embraced by oneness Pentecostals. People think of, I call them Mm quasi-Christians. So, you know, you think, who is someone who says they're Christian, but they're not? The ones that pop in your mind are probably Mormonism and Jehovah's Witnesses. But... There's probably even more numbers of oneness Pentecostals than Mormons or Jehovah's Witnesses. Or they're right up there numbers hmm. wise. Really? And oneness Pentecostals are not Christian because they deny the Trinity too. Yeah. They they're they're called the Jesus only movement. God has a name. That name is Jesus. And he's the Father at some times, he becomes the Son, then he becomes the Holy hmm. Spirit. And so I and so I address that uh, in the book. And yeah, I'm excited that'll be out in a, in a month soon. So So this has been a good uh, setup to our discussion today sure. on, yes. on, on relativism. And it seems like, you know, talking about heresies, sure. the idea of relativism did not always exist because these these heretics, the heresies, they were saying, no, it's not just whatever you think. It is this way. You should believe me. You mm-hmm. know, uh, that there was no middle ground, that there was a right and a wrong, and people have always known that. Um if you can, I know this can be hard to, and I know we've just got a couple minutes, but sure. uh, when did the relativism notion begin? Was that in the not? Was that a nominalist, or, or did that have not? Yeah, we, I there, talked about. Or? Yeah, there's, there's nominalism, Occam, but honestly, I think within our our worldview, relativism really took hold in the early 20th century hmm. when you have views like logical positivism, people like Wittgenstein. Quine, others who are arguing that we create kind of our own spheres of logic, our own language communities, and so we create our own meaning of words and ideas versus them kind of existing independently of us. So that kind of view, I think, has really pushed modern relativism. But honestly, there is a biblical precedent for this. Hmm. In the book of Judges, everything goes wrong. So you've got people, uh, you've got uh, murder, You've got a a gang rape and dismemberment. You've got kidnapped brides at the end. It's all just terrible in the book of Judges. And it's an awful mess, and it's a depressing book. And I love the last line of the book of Judges, Judges 21, 25. It says, "And and that is what happened when Israel had no king, for every man did what was right in his own eyes. And this is, so this is how it was when Israel had no king, for every man did what was right in his own eyes. That's classic relativism if I've ever seen it. So it's always been with us a bit, but that's one of my favorite verses in Scripture. People say, Judge is a horrible book. What does that teach us? It teaches us what not to do, okay? (laughs) Which is very important. Yeah, that's a a good thing to know. (laughs) That's right. Yeah. Okay, so we're here with Trent Horn. We're talking about moral relativism. We're going to take a break. We'll be right back. Maybe answer a Facebook question. We're on the Lord's team. The winning side. So raise your glass.
Welcome back to the Catholic Man Show. Sitting here with Trent Horn, E. Juan Posada, E. Jim Spencer, E. David Niles. The last shall be first. You're welcome. Talking about relativism, Trent, here's a question for you. Mm-hmm. That I think that a lot of people think the answer is yes. Just saying that up front. Should all... No, no. The answer is no. No, <laughs> no, I don't. Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, should all... Should all people's opinions be respected? No. All, it's funny. I was at a talk I gave a while back to a teacher's convocation. I think it was a bunch of Catholic school teachers. And actually, one of the groups that I dread speaking to the most are teachers. Mm. Even teachers will tell you they can be the worst of students. Mm. I think students test them all throughout the day. And then when they become a student, they just want to let loose and they chat or they're rude. I've had a lot. I know a lot of great teachers in my life. But when I've gone to speak for teachers organizations, especially at Catholic schools, I always end up meeting people who disagree with the church on a lot of major things. (laughs) And so it's like, well, pick your Catholic school carefully. So I remember once I got there and I said, (laughs) and I, I saw them like visibly gasp when I said, look, I don't respect every opinion. Some opinions are stupid. Yeah. Some opinions are racist. Some opinions are evil and deserve to be wiped off the face of the earth. And they're like, but I said, I respect people. A mm-hmm. person is made in the image and likeness of God. A person has rights. A person has dignity. And a person may have wacky opinions. And I'm going to love that person and try to free them of the wacky, stupid, evil, racist opinions, whatever they may be. If they're in error, I want to free them from from that error. So no, I don't respect opinions. I mean, do you respect the opinion that, you know, the, the Jews are parasites and have to be removed from society? I mean, no. I, I But I will respect even someone who holds that opinion and say, I am greatly saddened that you were deceived by this, and this is leading you to a path of sin. I would like to free you from the hold this sinful error has upon you. Yeah. But do you think that, the re- like, because we've become such a non-confrontational society where it's like, I don't, I don't want to stir the pot at all, that... That's why people are, have kind of thought about the idea of, I should just respect everybody's opinion. Well, the problem is people misunderstand tolerance. Yeah. They think, well, I want to be tolerant of other people. And yes, we should be tolerant. But tolerance does not mean that you accept other people. Tolerance and By acceptance definition, are actually. You can't, because if you accepted it, you would no longer tolerate it. When you tolerate something, that just means you allow it to exist. That's it. To tolerate something means you let it exist. Yeah. So there's some things we don't tolerate. I mean, you know, when you're on an airplane, you will tolerate rude people around you or a screaming baby. I don't have a problem with the kids. It's not their fault. It's everyone else getting all gripey mm-hmm. about everything. Mm-hmm. It's a kid, okay? But, you know, I, I, to- I don't like it, but I tolerate it. Right. You know, nobody likes, you know, being in a confined metal tube and being irritated. But the rung below tolerism is this tolerance is to say, oh, well, just put them in the cargo hold or put them on the wing or, you know, (laughs) forcibly eject them from the aircraft. (laughs) So that's the difference here is that, yeah, I I tolerate many odious views and opinions that I disagree with. But I believe people should have the the right to hold those views because I do believe that it's helpful to live in a free and open society where we can debate different opinions, ideas, and have a dialogue about trying to reach truth together. And so I'm not in favor of banning other people's views and trying to shut them up because people will do that to me. That's why I find it so fascinating that there are people who are willing to do that to me. There's, you know, companies that will want to, you know, as, as we do deal with more with transgender, if you quote unquote misgender someone, you can be deplatformed. Mm-hmm. You can, uh, you know, you kicked off Patreon, kicked off Twitter, Facebook. 
uh, in other countries, you can be investigated for a crime. Yeah. So like Canada. Right. So it's like you can't tolerate. Even those people agree there are just things you should not tolerate. So we, we should be tolerant of other people's differences as long as the views. Really, I'll tolerate any view. I'm not going to say you're going to go into jail because of what you believe. Because a belief in, in and of itself can't cause harm to other people. It's when beliefs turn into... Now, beliefs can cause harms to yourself because mm-hmm. you could believe a falsehood or you could dwell on a thought that is bad for you to dwell upon that could hurt, harm yourself and then lead you, predispose you to do bad things to other people. Mm-hmm. But it's not good, good for the common good to police people's thoughts. We should police their actions. And if you do something that violates the rights of another person, then the civil authorities should step in. And but then we have to say, what rights do you have? Because there's people who say nowadays they have a right to not be offended. Yeah, no, I'm know. sorry. It's no. ridiculous. No. You, Go because, sit over there and be offended. Because then you can't <laughs> have a civilized society. I mean, you have the right to not be physically attacked, to not be put directly in harm's way, to not be the victim of a mob, a frenzied mob. But you don't have the right to not be offended. Because if, that, if someone has the right to not be offended... Then if someone tells me that, that offends me. So then they cannot share that view with me for else they will violate my right yeah, to not be offended. That grossly offends me. And that deals with rel- relativism ultimately falls apart when you try to have a universal individualism. That's what it tries to do. Mm-hmm. You end up sawing off the branch you're sitting on. That you a try u- to universalize Universal something. individualism. Yeah, or <laughs> universal non-universalism. It's the idea that nothing applies to everyone except this thing that we say applies to everybody. So whether it's... Absolutely. Yeah, and that's the yeah. way you you undercut all all relativism, whether it's about, the, about any truth or moral truth or religious truth, and then ask, well, how do you know that? And a lot of people believe in relativism, honestly, because they hear different, you know, well, people disagree, especially moral relativism. Not a lot of people will say, okay, science tells us the way the world is. But moral relativism will say, well, look, you guys think abortion's wrong. They think it's right. How, you know, who's to say there is a truth there? Mm-hmm. Uh, just because people disagree, though, doesn't mean there's no right answer. Because they'll say, well, if morals are objective, we'd all agree. Yeah, but let's say you're in a math class and everybody gets 100%. Unless it's a super easy test, they're cheating. And you mm-hmm. say, well, but math is objective. Right. But people make errors in their thinking along the way. Right. So morals are objective, too. But people make errors in their thinking and get to wrong morals, just like you can make errors in your mathematical thinking and get to wrong math, which is why I dropped out of Calc AB four weeks in, because I spent all of trig and pre-calc playing worms and snakes on my T83. Mm. Yeah. So (laughs) I don't blame you. So I made errors. I made errors. The limit doesn't always approach infinity. I always thought that was my safe go to. And it wasn't. (laughs) So another one they'll bring up is they'll say, well, what about moral dilemmas? Like, well, you know, the sinking lifeboat. Who do you throw out? We don't know what to do. So relativism. But no, just because we don't know what to do in a difficult situation doesn't mean there's no right answer. Right. Yeah. Because nobody says, ah, do whatever you want. We understand the, pre- the existence of dilemmas proves objective truths exist, objective morality, because we're trying to figure out what the right answer is. Mm-hmm. Like nobody says, oh, you know, it's, it's just a big, oh, I've, you know, I've, I'd like to, like after the show, I haven't had dinner yet. So it's like, oh, I got a dilemma. Am I going to get a fish fillet at McDonald's or at Sonic? Oh, what do I do? doesn't matter. You can just pick whatever. Yeah, you have to get it right. I have to get it. No, it's like, you know. Well, well see at, at times you do have to get it right. Right. Well, sometimes, <laughs> you, yeah. want, you want one that's cooked well and won't send, yeah. you, send you to the porcelain throne to worship yeah. at the altar of the porcelain throne. But, yeah. but that's, yeah, that's what I see with relativism, that people think that, di- that tolerance or disagreements lead to relativism, and, and they don't. There actually proves that their truth really does exist and it's objective. 
Okay, so uh, on the last break, Juan asked a question about um, just some stuff that he's encountered at work about uh, Jesus and having a relationship with Jesus and this idea that, right. oh, well, that, you know, you might have your path to Jesus and, oh, oh, you had a different path to Jesus and, oh, you don't go to church, you just go out in nature instead of, you know, going to church and whatever leads you to Jesus, you know, th- that's as if there is an objective truth, but maybe the relativism is in the paths to get there. So right. h- how would you counsel him in how to respond to some of these coworkers. Well, I think the way I would respond is I would say to them, who is Jesus? What do you mean by Jesus? Because when people talk about Jesus in this way, I think they're describing Jesus as like he's inner peace. So it's like you get inner peace having your Sheridans, you know, and talking theology. I get inner peace by going to the mountains. So we all get to our inner peace in different ways. And that's true because inner peace is a subjective thing. But Jesus is a person. He's God incarnate. And he has specific things that he has taught us about himself, about God, about how to relate to him. So Mm -hmm. we also have to understand that we don't get to Jesus. We, in our sinful state, prior to baptism, we we cannot possibly try to approach God. We can't. That's Pelagianism. That's a heresy. God has to give us grace that we respond to. So Jesus is always coming to us. Now, I'll grant you that Jesus, that God, can come to people— and make himself known to them in different ways. So there's a kernel of truth here that someone may, you know, someone may be moved to become Catholic because they read the Summa Theologiae and that it hit them. For other people, standing in Notre Dame Cathedral and seeing the light pour in, mm-hmm. it's like that's how God used grace to move in that person's life. So people are different. So just because God reaches us in different ways doesn't mean he has not also given us a specific way to come to him and receive his grace. So if we're talking about getting to Jesus, we should ask these people, well, to get closer to Jesus, shouldn't we ask Jesus what his answer was for this question? We talked about, Mm. unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, because we're saying, well, I get to Jesus this way, and I get to Jesus this way. I think he'd probably know the best way. So we should probably (laughs) ask him. And what did he give us to know that? And people will say, well, the Bible. Well, no, where did Jesus say, I give you this Bible? Here you go. No, he established a church. Jesus never said any—prior to his ascension into heaven, Jesus never told anyone to write anything down. Not once. Mm-hmm. And yet he did talk about establishing a church, the authority of the apostles, that he would be with the church till the end of the ages, which leads me to say that we should look to the authority of what Jesus established to know how to ultimately come close to him and to receive his grace within our lives so that we can have sanctifying grace to enter into eternal life. Which the church is the, the pillar and bulwark of truth. First Timothy 3.15, that's right. So, Wait, but whose truth? The truth. The truth. Oh, the truth. The way, the truth, right. and the life. And the life. Yeah. Yeah. Truth is the descri- is a description of reality. So I had a right or wrong. Now, some truths are subjective. Like I have feelings about things. So you know, a feeling about Sheridan's or Brahms ice cream, whatever it may be. That that truth may depend on the person, whether you like it or not. But the fact that you know this is fifteen percent alcohol. Uh, is an objective truth. You can't say, well, you know, to me, I, I feel like it's chocolate milk. And I just think that. Your feelings don't change reality. You, the truth is just truth, and you either have to accept it or reject it. Yeah. And Jesus is the truth. You either accept or reject him. As Ben Shapiro says, the facts don't care about your feelings. That's true. He does say that. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll be right back. we got to take a break. This is the Catholic Man Show. That of Minahan and David Niles. We have Trent Horn as our special guest. We're on the Lord's team. The winning side. So raise your glass.
Welcome back to the Catholic Man Show. I'm David Niles. As always, here with Adam Minahan, we're joined today by Trent Horn from Catholic Answers and the Council of Trent podcast. You're not afraid to uh, you're not afraid to uh, answer any tough questions on your podcast. I like that. Uh, so far, I've been happy with all the questions that are thrown at me. Uh, yeah, always good to be able to dive into them, take a look at the different sides. Sure. So I uh, have an opinion about relativism. Okay, and I'm <laughs> I'm curious what your take is on it. I believe that technology is making relativism more prevalent mm-hmm. um, because in the average person's daily life, there is no silence. It mm. is constant noise. Therefore, there is no reflection on their life. Like, I, I just know when I hear you debate people on Catholic Answers, these people are calling in with what appear to be deeply held opinions right. that they've never even thought about. Right. They have never even considered their own opinion. And that's because they just hear someone else say it, and they're so distracted all the time that they just have never even considered, you know, deeply... Or, or the other or not, side of the argument. Whether or not they actually even believe this. Right. Do you... Th- so, that's what I, I want... What are your thoughts about... Do you think technology and just the constant noise, is it making it worse? You know, that's kind of funny. I, when you said that, it made me think of Aristotle who said that the mark of an intelligent mind is the ability to entertain an idea without accepting it. And so you're right. People, Many people are confronted with an idea, and they only review it very minimally. And it's easy for them, if it's presented to them in just a winsome way, to be carried away by that. Mm-hmm. And so that's why in Paul's letter to the Ephesians, he says, we're not like children. We're not tossed about to and fro on the winds of doctrine. Uh, and so that's where, when Pope Benedict XVI, that famous phrase, the dictatorship of relativism, he was referencing what Paul said in Ephesians, the phrase being tossed to and fro. The idea is like you're just kind of carried by the ideas you come across online or on YouTube videos. Mm-hmm. And so that's part of it. So, so I think technology, which is funny because in Plato and Aristotle's day, I think they, they thought that books and reading were going to ruin people's ability. So they were actually anti-technology then too, but they thought these fancy parchments are going to mess up people. And the true <laughs> learning is from the living voice from a, a teacher to a pupil. Sure. And people, and maybe there's a little credence to this. People have always been afraid of technology when it, when it comes out. I mean, when mm-hmm. uh, kerosene, gas lanterns, lamps came out, people said that the devil's work will continue into the night. And honestly, that's kind of true in a lot of like Victorian England. So uh, so you're right, though. There's always like a panic. The problem is there's a panic and people say, well, it wasn't the end of the world. I'm like, yeah, but it wasn't the overblown fear was wrong. But there was something distinct that, that didn't go right. That's a part of it. So technology alienates us from one another, like social media. It exposes us to a lot of different views. And I think another thing that's happened a lot with relativism is you quickly want to fall into an identity. This is what I believe. This is my tribe. Jonathan Haidt writes a lot about tribalism. He has a great book on this. And so you fall in the tribe, and then this happens way more now with social media like Facebook and Twitter. You only now, once you have the view that that you have, you only want to read articles and hear things from other people who agree with you. And then so your news feeds, your feeds only contain, the algorithms only contain things from your friends, and you're caught in a bubble. Yeah. So that's why on Catholic Answers Live, all people will call to me, and they've never really spoken to someone who's Catholic or pro-life, yeah. or a Christian, that what they hear is so different. They're only used to what they see in, in extremes and videos or memes. They won't talk. They haven't talked to someone who has a more nuanced position. And so 
it's funny with relativism, people will say it, but I think they a lot of them have deeply held beliefs, like you say. Mm-hmm. They just don't think it through very carefully. So sometimes they'll default back to relativism if their worldview is challenged enough. They'll say, well, okay, maybe I can't prove it to you, but you know, we should all believe whatever we want. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that happens too a lot in conversations. Yeah. Uh, it's just is frustrating mm-hmm. because these people are they're clinging to this belief. And but I do it too. You know, you're saying you only want to read articles that agree with you. Right. I do that. I I know I do that. It's like I want to. Oh, I only want to read it from the conservative opinion. Well, every everybody does that. That's confirmation bias. Yeah. It's the idea here that you will accept <clears throat> sources that agree with you and be and reject sources that that disagree. We all do it. It's a bias everybody has. I'm always trying to work against it. So when I'm doing my work and I'm putting forward arguments, mm-hmm. uh, that's why at least even in my own personal social and political views, I try to see what other people say. So when I spend my time on the internet, I kind of ride through the ideological uh, differences. So I, I go to a variety of media sources and blogs and YouTube channels to see what different people believe. Though, honestly, though, I can't be learning all the time, so I will admit my entertainment often comes from people who share my views because I just want to be entertained and relax. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Some people, though, they live purely in the entertainment mode, mm-hmm. and so that can be problematic. So I think it's important to learn what other people believe, the objections to what you believe, and then to be able to respond to that. And then you can present a winsome case to them, or at least something provocative for them to think about. I will tell you that I think the reason I don't want to read something from a liberal source is honestly just because I believe, right or wrong, that the liberal media or whatever has lost the ability to be honest. Mm -hmm. I I mean, and whether, I know that that's not true all the time, but it is, I mean, that's just a, that's just how I feel about things in general. And that that might be wrong. And I think that's why... St. Thomas Aquinas was was so amazing. Right. Because he was able to take what the best argument was of the opposing side, yeah. and he tackled that head-on yeah. first. That's and what made his... He would his, steel-man the argument. Yeah. 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 Exactly. I was about to bring up that term. So straw-manning is when you weaken someone's position to refute it. Steel-manning is when you strengthen it mm-hmm. and then go on to refute it. I remember someone said to me once, I never forgot it, they said, do you know what I like about your books? And I said, well, what? He said, sometimes I'll read your book, I'll read a paragraph, and then I'll say, well, yeah, but, you know, read an argument of mine. But, well, yeah, well, what about this, though? And then the, and he says, then the next paragraph starts, of course, a critic might say that. Mm-hmm. And so it's almost like I kind of do Thomas's style in my own writings. I sort of do it in reverse. It's a good idea. I start, right? Yeah. If anything's good, <laughs> if you do it in reverse, it's got to be even better. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, what I'll do is I will put forward my position and then answer the objections that will that will come to it. Although he kind of does do that. He puts forward an objection or an argument, mm-hmm. then the, the disputes, the questions. I reply that. Right. And then he answers them. And all then the he answers them. So yeah. it, it's actually kind of similar, I guess, in that respect. But yeah, well, it's a good except, except he's way better than me. But well, he's better he's than a everybody. He, he's yeah. a he's universal the doctor of the church. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he may have been the smartest person to ever live. I mean, it's possible. I, you know, I think Jesus might be a tad bit okay. Well, he's human that, you know person. That's cheating. That's human, cheating. Human person. <laughs> yeah. so, Jesus is always the answer. There's dude. always. It's like except for Jesus. Except for you know, Jesus. Right. <laughs> it's just like, what's your favorite? What's your favorite book? Except the Bible. Right. What's your favorite book? Exactly. It's like if you could hang out with one person from history, except for Jesus, obviously. The Mary. Yeah. Of course. Right. Now, now this is a Catholic podcast, right? Now. Yeah. Good job. Definitely going to be Mary. <laughs> right. 
Uh, okay, so what about the dads who they send their kids off to college, right. and then they come back, and all of a sudden, all their foundation, all the all their work that they've yeah. put in for the last eighteen, 18 years, years of raising children gets, is out the window. Gets unwound immediately, <sighs> and now they're in this relativistic idea. Idea. Do they do they fight them? I mean, what do what do you do? <laughs> no, I mean they're people. Young people want to establish their own identities, mm-hmm. and so it's not unusual for young people to want to establish an identity different from their parents. Even if they share the same core beliefs, you want to be distinct. You want to be. A, you don't want to be a carbon copy of your parents. So I think what's important is they don't want to feel like they're they're going to get the third degree, and that there's something you know you, I'm not going to care about you anymore because you don't share our our important beliefs. Of course, you're going to care, but because you care, you'll want them to have true beliefs. So I think what's important here is just to maintain dialogue and to ask. Well, why do you think that? And to even say, hey, if you learned this at college, I want to know because if it turns out to be right, I'd want to believe that. Like, I think that would really floor them. So tell me, can you convince me? Like, why should I believe this particular moral issue, you know, transgender ideology or pro-choice or the Bible's not reliable or, or philosophy shows God doesn't exist? Like, what, what would your professor say to me? And sometimes they, they may stumble over it and realize it's more of an attitude they're retrofitting with stuff they heard from class than a fully thought out belief. So when you take it in that calm demeanor of, you know, teach me, then it's like, oh, I'm not being grilled. I've got to do this. And they might get flustered. They can't fully explain it. And then to say, hey, so if you have an open mind, what would you say, though, to, to this stuff? And you can share videos from Catholic Answers. Uh, you know, honestly, a really good, really good videos for college students that have kind of drank the Kool-Aid, uh, the PragerU videos. PragerU videos are actually mm, very yeah. good on, especially if, if they've bought into... Uh, you know, Marxism, relativism, gender ideology. There are a lot of great socialism. socialism. Uh, they've got a lot of great videos on a variety of topics that are quick and easy to watch. You could say, what do you, you know? What do you think of that? And then you have to understand some patience. You have to pray. It. I mean, Saint Am- Saint Monica, the mother of Saint Augustine, you know, prayed for his conversion, and she went to Saint Ambrose and said, "I talk to him about God all the time. He's not responding to me." And Ambrose, who later baptized Augustine told St. Monica, instead of talking to Augustine about God, why don't you talk to God about Augustine? So that's the final thing that your dad, the dads you're listening, you're talking to. The most important conversation you have about this is with God about your children every day, mm-hmm. you know, to, to pray for them, just like St. Monica did for her son. And, and prayer, it, it really does work. It it's, puts people on that path, and it brings in grace for others so that we can ultimately bring them back to or to our Lord. Yeah. I think that's something that dads forget that after, you know, they feel like that, oh, my parenting is now done now that they're off in college. And nope. I, I would argue that it, being able to uh, have a regiment fasting for your for your children as they've, yeah. they're gone. Parenting is, never, it's never over. It just changes. Right. It changes. And, and now yeah. your role is now to pray and fast for your children. Right. Mm-hmm. That, especially in college. Dad. They need that. Yes. Dad, I hope you're fasting for me. I, <laughs> yeah, I dad. need it. <laughs> And then to encourage them, of course, say, you know, of course, prayer and fasting on your end for us to honor us and yeah. for your own discipline yeah. in your own life. Yeah, it, it, you, you, you're right. Your parenting is something that that never it never really ends. So we are all kind of at the beginning and it's a long journey and God equipped us. It's not like, you know, oh, I'm going to be this great parent. It's like, no, God, he does not call the equipped. He equips the called and he's called all of us to be good parents. Yep. Amen. Trent, it was so much fun to hang out with you today. I appreciate it. Absolutely. We're on the Lord's team. The winning side. So raise your glass. And cheers to Jesus.